Turn your Bible, Acts, Acts chapter 27, Acts chapter 27, verse 39. And it reads, it says, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach unto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go of anchors and left in the sea. And meanwhile, loosening the rudder's ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Let me pause and catch you up just in case you missed last week. And by the way, if you missed last week, make sure to subscribe to Union Church on YouTube. Every message is posted online like three minutes after church is over and you never have to miss even if you're out of town. But last week we picked up this story about Paul the Apostle. He's one of the most influential Christians in the entire New Testament. God was using him in a great way. Matter of fact, he was on a journey to Rome to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the most powerful person on the planet, who was Caesar. Well, he was there, and as he was going on this trip, they hit a storm. Matter of fact, it was the first hurricane ever recorded in Scripture. And as they're in the ship, it says literally the ship is breaking apart. They are despairing of life itself. Paul wasn't even sure if he was going to live through the storm. An angel appears to Paul and he said, hey, don't worry. You have purpose on your life. Somebody say there's purpose on my life. I ain't even mad on preaching this, but I've been finished. Somebody say there's purpose on my life. Come on, prophesy to somebody. Somebody say there's purpose on your life. You can't die of this cancer. This divorce can't be the end of your story. This bankruptcy can't be where it ends. This season of boredom, there is purpose on your life. And here's what I've discovered. When there's purpose on my life, I can't drown in a storm. When there's purpose on my life, I can't drown in depression. When there's purpose on my life, anxiety can't paralyze me because there's purpose on the other side of this storm. So they can see the shore, they run aground. And here's what it says. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners. Yo, if the storm ain't gonna kill me, somebody else is trying to kill me. It says, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion wanted to save Paul. He kept them from their purpose and commanded those who could swim should sh- jump overboard first and get to land. Do you understand how hard it is for a preacher to finish a message on time? Every time you read the Bible, you see something you've never seen before. The Bible says the centurion kept the soldiers from their purpose. There are people whose purpose is to stop your purpose. The enemy has purposed other people to stop your purpose. But God has purposed people to stop the enemy's plan against you. So even if there's people against you, you don't have to fight your own battle because God has ordained people to fight for you. Can I preach that a little bit further? So all you self-reliant people, will you let a church fight for you? Will you stop being so self-sufficient that you don't let anybody else know when you're going through a battle? God's placed some people around you that will fight for you if you let us. But if you one of them, God is good all the time and all the time, God is good, Christians. God's good, you're not. What's going on? We ready to fight. Not against you, for you. Okay, let's finish this up. And the rest and some of the boards and parts of the ship. So they grab onto pieces of the ship and they swim the shore. 
So it was that they all escaped safely to the land. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful for this awesome opportunity in your presence. God, this is not just church. This is a collision between heaven and earth. God, you're here. And if you're here, miracles are breaking out as we speak. Hope is being restored. Sight is being restored. God, you're building our faith. God, we'll be ever so careful as you move us forward to point to you. We give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen. As they say when you get on the airplane, don't worry about the slight delay. We will make up time in the air. We started a series last week called Shipwrecked on Purpose. Shipwrecked on Purpose. And the whole heart of the mindset behind this series is storms are just a part of life. Financial storms, health storms, relational storms, emotional storms. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. The only difference between an unbeliever and a believer, a child of God, and someone who has not surrendered and stuck to God is what the storm does to you. For some people, the storm will break you. For some people, the storm will make you. It'll pull gifts, talents, abilities, anointings out of you that you didn't even know were possible. It all depends on your perspective in the storm. Last week, <coughs> excuse me, we, we, we had three services. It was amazing. And after service, third service, I get out of church and I'm out in the lobby trying to get all my merch. How am I doing by modeling, by the way? I'm trying, trying to be my best union church model I possibly can. But I went outside and, and I'm in the merch line and, and this lady comes up to me and, and, and she looked pretty disturbed. And if you're in one of the service today, yes, I'm preaching about you, but I won't use your name. So nobody knows it's you. She walks up to me and she just, she looks, she didn't look like she had a good time in church. And, and, and you got to understand, as preachers, we a little sensitive. I'm not going to lie. We absolutely sensitive. Like I'm preaching, but I'm looking at you and I'm trying to read your body language. And, 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 and if those of you that are, that are sitting in this room and you're sitting like this, you're not helping me because I'm trying to preach, trying to hear from God, trying to remind my nose. And then I'm also thinking, what's your problem? Am I not preaching good? Is this not for you? Like, well, sit in the back. Anyway, she comes to me and she says, so what happened to the end of the story? I was like, what do you mean? Well, what happened to you and your wife? <laughs> if you were here last week, I told a story about me and my wife. We were on our third day of our honeymoon. We had just got married. We waited to marriage. We only got to do to do for three days. <laughs> and we got stranded out to sea, stuck in a boat a mile off the coast of Dominican Republic with a captain by the name of Coca-Cola. I didn't know how we were going to get out of it. I was like, Coca-Cola, what's going to happen? They said they're going to send a rescue boat as soon as they realize we're missing. I said, when are they going to realize? Well, he said it was a six-hour charter. So about seven hours from now, they're going to realize that, that we didn't come back. She said, you didn't finish the story. I didn't hear a word of the whole message you said because I'm just wondering, did y'all drown at sea? I'm sizing the story a little bit. I said, well... I'm here. She's here. Clearly we made <laughs> But to finish the story, because some of y'all ain't going to hear my message when I finish the story, we're out to sea. We only had to wait four hours, not seven. 
We literally donated all of our insides to the ocean. We just figured, we don't need these omelets. Let's just give it to the fish. I actually have pictures, but I don't want to show them because I'm too embarrassed. I look, I mean, green, purple, pink, every different color except the one God made me. It was a mess. We're out there for four hours, and then finally another ship comes and, and actually realized that we were missing. And I'm telling you, it was like out of the movie Castaway or something like that. That ship came, we're like, ah! Jesus, save us. The ship comes and they hey, are you okay? No. You think we're sitting here? It circles around us and then it parks about 20 yards away. And I'm looking at this situation like, oh, this is messed up. You expect me to swim over there, 20 yards. Now, when I say I can't swim, some of you people judge me. I mean, you people, you people who think swimming is like riding a bike. Like, I mean, three-year-olds can swim. Listen, I can swim, okay? I can swim with little floaties in my arms. I can swim in, in the little waiting boat. I, I, I can swim at the YMCA. There's a difference between swimming at the YMCA and swimming a mile out to sea with four-foot waves. And all you people that think you can swim, you can't swim a mile back to shore. So don't look at me with them judgmental eyes. Unless you're a Marine, then you can. You can look at me any way you want. But anyway, so we're looking at this boat. I can't swim in that boat. Next thing I know, off of the boat, they drop what all I could tell was a bathtub with a motor on it. It was the smallest little skiff I've ever seen in my life. And this guy jumps into that thing and he rides from that boat to this boat, but he parks his boat two feet away. And he said, the waves are too big for us to bring the big boat over here. They'll crash. You got to jump out of this boat into that little bathtub. Have you ever been in a situation where you were saved, but not really? You can see hope right there. It's 20 yards away, and it might as well be four miles. And they're literally like, if you don't jump into that little boat, you won't be saved. I'm promising you, I've discovered in that moment that trust doesn't happen in the first three days of marriage. It takes about 30 years, because I nearly pushed my wife out the way. I said, babe, I, I just wanted to make sure it was safe for her. So I said, I'll jump first, and then you can come when we come back. God is my witness. I nearly lost my marriage on the third day. <laughs> so we jump into the boat. We made it safely. We get to the other boat. We go back to shore. This has nothing to do with the message, but I still have unforgiveness in my heart. You know, we got back to the shore and Expedia didn't want to refund us for our trip. They're like, well, you were gone for six hours. I mean, if you didn't catch any fish, it's not really our problem. Coca-Cola wasn't there to defend us because we left him out to sea. I realized my wife had the spirit of God and she had another spirit too. And it was the other spirit that come up on Expedia. So I, I just, I just, I, I just let PG do what PG does. But anyway, all right, let's get back to the word. Here it is. Paul was in a storm of his life. The only hurricane recorded in scripture. It's looking like they're going to lose everything. The next thing you know, an angel comes to Paul and he said, there's purpose on your life. You and everybody around you will be saved. Come on. How many people would love an angel to come to you and tell you everything's going to be all right? Your business is going to be saved. Your marriage is going to be saved. Your health. It's, it's all good. Paul stands up and tells everybody, we're good. God's for us. 
And you know what happened? The storm continued to rage. They got a word from God and the storm didn't stop. For three more days, they were stuck in that storm. And then finally, they saw the shore. They saw hope. They saw what they were. If we could just aim for that shore, we'll be saved. And as they're targeting the shore, they hit a sandbar out to sea that they didn't see coming. The ship runs up on the sand and it begins to break apart. Paul goes from stuck in a ship in a storm to now stuck in the ocean in the storm. What happens when a storm won't end? What happens when you can see the finish line and it's so close that you can touch and next thing you know, the next wave comes? I'm not going to lie to you as a pastor. That's kind of what this little Delta airline variant that's going on right now is kind of done to my hope. I mean, I, w- I was so ready to be done with this panoramic. I'm just like, listen, it's over. Everybody got vaccinated. We're ready to come on out, get rid of this mask. Let's go. Everybody coming back to church. And the next thing you know, Delta's come out. I'm sorry. I had to. No shade. Forgive me. I just right, stick to the word. Stick to the word. I'm going to get in trouble. So many emails coming. Email us at I don't care at theunionchurch.com. Anyway, it's like we were almost out. Here comes the next wave, the next issue, the next problem. Here's what I've discovered, and hear me, I got to get this theologically correct. God does not cause storms in our life, but he does use them. God doesn't cause sickness. Don't give me this, oh, it's my thorn to bear. This is God's will for my life. No, no, no. He said, by his stripes, you have been healed. With long life, he will satisfy you. Sickness is not the will of God for your life. God does not cause storms, but he does use them for his purpose. Every time a storm comes, there is a purpose in it that God is trying to bring to pass in our life. The Bible says the purpose is always for our good. It will always take us to more in God than less of life. Here's what I've discovered. God will not let a storm pass until he gets his purpose out of it. And the longer it takes for God's will to be done in a storm, the longer this storm will last. Some of us have been in storms for years and it's like one after another after another. And I've discovered because God's trying to get something done in that storm that hasn't been done yet. And if I could just figure out, God, what are you doing in this storm? Hear me, you can accelerate the pace of your storm by working with God instead of against him. I'm gonna give you just three quick thoughts. Three quick thoughts. First thing is like this, write this down. Storms bring us to brokenness. One of God's purposes in a storm is to bring us to brokenness. The Bible says that they ran up on the soundbar and the ship began to break apart. Even though God said he was going to save them, things were still breaking apart. Here's what I've discovered. Brokenness is what God wants for my life. Brokenness is what God wants for your life. Now, There's the world's definition of brokenness, and then there's God's definition of brokenness. The world's definition of brokenness is I've given up hope. There's no more fight in me. I've surrendered to my fate. 
That's where depression comes in, anxiety and panic attacks and even suicidal thoughts. I've, I'm broken. There's nothing left to live for. That's not God's will for you. That's not the brokenness I'm talking about. The brokenness that God has for us is I've broken all self-reliance and self-sufficiency. Come on, BWI, help me preach. Somebody say, make it plain. Here's what godly brokenness is. My faith is no longer in my degree. My faith is no longer in my bank account. My faith is no longer in my charisma or my work ethic or my ability to get myself out of any situation I'm in. My faith is no longer in my family or in my relationships. I have finally come to the place in life that there's nothing around me that can get me to where I need to go. That's where God wants us to be. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 51, verse 17, the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Baltimore County, God does not want us to be self-reliant or self-sufficient. He wants us to be God-reliant and God-sufficient. And here's what the Bible says. It's that type of brokenness that God is attracted to. Now, everything in God's word is for us. Somebody say amen. amen. Everything in God's word is going to take us to a better experience here on earth and in heaven. But not everything in God's word is going to get us excited. So some things in God's word are going to make you want to shout, scream, stand up, slap your neighbor and have a good time. Other things in God's word is going to make you want to walk out of church saying, I don't know if I like that message today. And by the way, I don't know if I like the little skinny preacher either. I don't know if I like any of it. That's when I know the message was good. Can, can, can I give you something to shout about for a second? And I'm not being facetious. This is actually God's word and over your life. You are on the verge of a breakthrough. God is getting ready to break open a new level of influence, a new level of joy, a new level of purpose, a new level of wealth. Hear me. If you are breathing and on earth, you're on the verge of a breakthrough because God has so much more for you. I just wish I could wake up some people that have been in an emotional coma for the last three or four years. I'm believing that I can wake up some people that you haven't dreamed a dream in a long time. It's time to dream again because you're on the verge of a breakthrough. Can, can, can I tell you something that you're not going to want to scream about? You are on the verge of a breakthrough. You know, if you preach it right, you can get people to scream about stuff they should be crying about. You're on the verge of a breakthrough. I'm about to break through. Did you just hear what you just said? You just said, I'm about to break through. Here's what I've discovered. God cannot trust me with more influence until I've gone to a new level of brokenness. And before I could step into the more that God has for me, I got to say it, but there has to be less of Stephen alive. It's literally like this. The influence that God wants to use you for, if you're still that confidence in you, you'll mess it up. The marriage that God has for you, if you still think you're all that in a bag of chips, 
your pride, come on, anybody who's been married longer than three minutes, <laughs> is going to mess it up. If you think you're right about everything and you can't fail ever, your, your, your lack of wisdom is going to mess up the new level of influence that God has for you. And God says, before I can make you, man, I got to break you. Can I tell you something that, 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 that people may not like to hear in church? There's nothing attractive about timidity. There's nothing attractive about people who, who, who ah, I'm going to get in trouble, but that's okay, that like to be invisible. I, 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 I don't know how we could call ourselves children of God and we say we like to be invisible. When he said, you are a city on a hill a light to be attracted to so that you can point to the glory of God, not to be hidden under a basket. God doesn't make invisible people. God doesn't make timid people. God doesn't make rejected people. God makes confident people. There's something attractive about confidence. There's something attractive about someone who holds their head up straight, who looks you straight in the eye, who speaks with confidence. But not all confidence is truth. Some confidence is a lie. There's people that are confident in their own ability. They're confident in their education. They're confident in their smarts. They're confident in the fact that they can always make somebody laugh at the right time. You're confident, but your confidence isn't a lie because your confidence is in something that is limited. Your confidence is in something that is finite. And at some point, no matter how good you are, you will miss a shot. Jordan, some people say he's the greatest. He didn't make every shot. LeBron, we all know he's the greatest. I mean, we have the mind of Christ. Clearly, we know these things. He don't make every shot. In our own human strength, we're going to miss shots. But there's a confidence that supersedes self-confidence. And it's a confidence that's not built in a lie, but is built in the truth himself. And that is, no, I'm not smart enough, educated enough, wealthy enough, or connected enough. But I'm connected to the one who is. I'm connected to the one who has never failed. I'm connected to the one who has never lost. I'm connected to the one, watch this, who has never been caught off guard. Do you know that God has never been in a situation where he said, it occurred to me? God has never said, it just crossed my mind because it was on his mind before it was on the earth. And God says, to walk in the blessing that I have for you, you need a God confidence. But before you can have a God confidence, I got to break off of you this self-reliance. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this, Paul, the word beseech means I beg you. Paul said, church, I beg beg you. Based on how good the mercies of God are, that you would prevent, present your life, watch this, as the living dead. What does that mean? Wake up every morning being alive, but being dead in self-reliance. Being dead in confidence that you have what it takes. He said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Skip over to verse 2. He said, only then will you prove that God's way is good, acceptable, and perfect. He said, if you want to walk in all the promises of God, 
you got to bury yourself and live only in a reliance on God. By the way, you know what that's what water baptism is. The Bible says in the book of Galatians that water baptism is you attending your own funeral. Water baptism is a symbol of joining with Christ. When Jesus was placed in the tomb as dead, he laid there for three days, but he didn't just lay there. The Bible says he got up, he went to hell, and he snatched the keys of hell, death, and the grave from Satan. And then on that third day, he walked out of the tomb in the victorious power of God. The Bible says that when you're water baptized, you are burying the old you, the old way of doing life. But just like Jesus, you receive keys of victory over addiction and over depression and over sin and over shame and over anything that can hold you back. And you're coming up a new person. Here's the way Paul said, he said, this life that I live, I'm now living it through Christ. So I've discovered that God will let a storm drag on until it breaks me. Sometimes God will send sickness, allow sickness, because he'll break me. Sometimes God will allow job loss because it will break me. Sometimes God will allow certain people to walk out of my life. Sometimes, I like this one, I'm lying, but I need to like this. Sometimes God will allow people to lie about you and other people to believe them. Sometimes God will allow your public character to be destroyed, to get you to a place of what do you really care about? Do you care about what they think about you? Or do you care about what I think about you? Because the second their eyes mean less to you than my eyes do, then I can take you to the... Somebody say, there's a breakthrough. There's a breakthrough with my name on it. The second thing is this, write this down, write this down. Brokenness is not destruction. God God wants to break you, but he doesn't want to destroy you. God's desire is that we walk in brokenness, not that we walk in despair. It says that they were on this ship and they ran onto that sandbar. And next thing you know, the ship begins to break apart. I've discovered the second thing that God is trying to do in his storm. He's trying to expose false faith. A lot of times... When we think we have our faith in God, we actually have our faith in what God is using. We think we have our faith in God, but what we really have is our faith in our job. You know, I'm tenured now. I've been here for 15 years. I can't get fired. I'm provided for. I'm good. Question for you, who's your provider? Is it your employer or is it your savior? Here's what I've discovered. You, you, you have a carpenter, and then you have tools. You have a carpenter, you have tools. The carpenter can be working on one piece of furniture, and he'll pick up one tool, and she'll put another tool down. They'll pick up one tool, and then they'll, and they'll use different tools to create what they're trying to create. But no matter what tool they use, the purpose does not change. 
The Bible says that Jesus is the great carpenter and he is shaping your life. He's shaping your purpose. He's shaping your destiny. And watch this. Sometimes he'll use certain people and then other times he'll put those people down. Sometimes he'll use certain jobs and other times he'll put that job down. Sometimes he'll use certain seasons and certain places and certain cities and he'll put that down. But he has not stopped working. But we get so attached to the tool. That when the tool goes, our hope goes. Some of us are so attached to people that when they walk out of our life, we have no vision for our future. Because we had no concept of what life would look like without them. Some of us are so attached to our jobs or so attached to our skills or ouch, I'm getting in trouble. So attached to our physical ability. I think that's why this pandemic has hit harder than almost anything in our generation. Because it attacked the one thing that all of us have been able to put our confidence in. I'm healthy and I'll be able to show up. If nobody else is there for me, I'm going to be there for me because I know how to work. I can I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I've just stopped saying that because I realize if I say that, God will take my boots. Now what you going to put yourself up on? You're going to let me pull you up. Now, here's what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. It says, some trust in chariots. Some in horses. Can we have a little bit of fun? Some in donkeys. Some in elephants. And then some are independent. (laughs) But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Hear me. Don't ever put your faith in the tool that God is using to bless you because it's just a tool. But it's who's holding that tool that is bringing to pass the breakthrough in your life. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 says this, and you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant. Watch this, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Hear me, you being financially blessed, isn't it about you? It's about the promise God made to your fathers, 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 father. And so what you lost your business? So what you lost your job? So what the economy is turning? It was just a tool that Jehovah Jireh, your provider was using. And watch this, don't get nervous because he switched tools. It was always about the carpenter in the first place. Can can, can we get real just for a second? We're going to get fake in a second, but can we get real just for a second? Some of you, you're new to Union Church. Maybe you joined the Baltimore County campus the last four weeks, or this is only your second week in church. You, You came on Welcome Home Sunday, and you're new here, and you're just, man, this is great. I love Union. What you don't know is you're new, and we're new, because Union is new. This isn't something that's been happening for the last 20 years. This is something that's been happening for the last like five months. Union Church became one church on Easter Sunday of this year. But before Union Church, there was Destiny over there and there's I-5 over there. Two different churches impacting this area for the glory of God. And then God spoke to me and Pastor Jim and he said, hey, I, I, I think I want to do something with you all together. And we began to bring the two churches together. And, and I'm just going to say what you know, but you don't know. Boy, if you knew the way people started talking. You gonna do what? You gonna join them? How that's gonna work? I don't know about that. Everybody was nervous, ah, because God was blessing old tools. I'm having fun. Y'all having fun? 
And because I'm at BWI, I'm going to talk about Columbia. Y'all going to be all right. My destiny folks were like, we ain't going to be destiny no more. But I love destiny. I don't know about this union stuff. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, Pastor, didn't God download destiny on your heart? Didn't he speak to you about, wasn't that your calling? Hear me. That was never my calling. It was always my tool. I'm going to get y'all in trouble. Being the senior pastor of this church is not my calling. It's my tool. It's something that God is using for this season. But my calling has not changed. It's to transform people and appoint people to the glory and the power of God. He may use one tool today and another tool tomorrow. He may use one title today and another title tomorrow. But regardless of the tool that he's using, it's the carpenter and the hand of the carpenter that moves us forward. And what I've discovered is that if I put too much faith in a tool, God will break the tool so that I could understand I was using that, but for that. See, there's a guy named Samson. Samson got himself in a little funky position. He was by himself, and he was fighting 2,000 soldiers from the country of the Philistines, and he was a prophet of God. He was anointed, and he didn't have anything around him. All he found was the carcass of a donkey. The Bible says he took the donkey's jawbone. Yo, and he whooped 2,000 Philistines. Forget Sparta. I need to see a movie about that. I'm listening. I mean, if it was a lion's jawbone, I can get that. If he had like a giraffe neck or something like that. No, no, no. He he had a donkey's jawbone. I, I wish I was old enough to preach from the King James, but I'm not. I ain't 50 yet, but one day I will. I'll be cussing all up in church. He had the jawbone of it. You read King James too. <laughs> you ever heard them old preachers like, look at your neighbor say, God will use the jack. I'm not old enough to preach like that, though, so I ain't going to go there. But watch this. Samson takes that job up. He wins the greatest battle of his life. And he drops the jawbone. And he walks into the next season of his life. How many of us, God, used a relationship in our past to bring us to a place of joy and purpose? And now it's time to drop that relationship and to walk into the next thing that God has for us. And we are dragging this stinking jawbone, trying to make it work when the anointing has departed. Can we just talk for a second? How many reconciliation breakfasts are you going to have? How many times are y'all going to meet at Silver Diner and say, I forgive you. Do you forgive me? I didn't mean the things I said about you to your mama. And I mean, I didn't mean to trash you at work. And you know, I, you played such a big part in my past. And we're just grateful. And, and you, you, you hug and you cry and you forgive and you get up. And you think the relationship's going to go. And then you still can't seem to mesh. You can't get your schedules to line up. You're always missing each other. Why? Because the season has passed. He's done using that tool. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I'm not resentful. But I I am moving on because God is 
And some of us are holding on to things that God has used in our past stronger than we're holding on to God. And he said, I will not let this storm pass until every tool that you've put your faith in has broken apart. Oh, because I'm not using Destin anymore. I'm using Union. I'm not using that employer anymore. I'm using your own business. I'm not using that circle of friends that you met in college. I'm using a new group of people in your connect group that are going to push you into all that God has for you. Oh, if I could preach, I'm not using credit cards anymore. I'm using cash. Would you mind stepping in? (laughs) Somebody look at your name and say, just drop the jawbone. Just drop the jawbone. Just... I can't wait, Brian, until we stop screaming about what we approve for. We start screaming about what we can pay for. <sighs> All right, write this down. Write this down. Let's run. Okay, I finish this message. You can ride brokenness to purpose. I give Sean the look. We done. So here it is. Paul is in the ocean. Y'all, God gave pieces of wood for Paul to float to shore because Paul could swim even. Must be a man of God thing. Here's Paul in the ocean looking to grab. God, help me preach this. A piece of brokenness. so that he can get to the purpose and the promise that God had for him. God God sent an angel, said, Paul, you're not going to die. You have to go to Rome. You have to preach. There's purpose on your life. Paul, you're good. This is Stephen. It's Paul over here. He's godly. There's Stephen. God's still working on me. When I get a word from God, I expect a miracle. I don't know about you, but if an angel shows up, I expect the sky to split next. I want the same chariot that picked up Elijah. Fire, horses, whole deal. I want you to scoop me up the ocean, leave everybody else, let them swim. But I got the vision from God. I want you to take me. I'll throw my little cloak, my little union merch, double blessing. I, I mean, I won't keep the anointing to myself. If I had a word from God, I'm expecting a rescue from God. I'm expecting Jesus to show up like he did for Peter. Peter cussed Jesus out and Jesus still quieted the storm for him. I'm expecting Jesus to say, peace be still. Here's what Jesus said to Paul. He said, you're going to be saved, but you're going to be broken. Paul's in that cold ocean. And all he can grab is a little piece of brokenness. And it's that little piece of brokenness that's going to take him to purpose. As I'm reading this, I'm just like, God, that's not fair. God, that doesn't make sense. 
Paul deserves better than that. He deserves heaven to show up. And all you did was give him a piece of wood. I felt like the Holy Spirit said that little piece of wood was more powerful than some angel showing up. Because if I sent an angel, the angel would have done what Paul didn't know. He had the power to do himself. You see, here's the thing. We think big storm is a big problem for God. We don't realize how easy it is for God to fix our problems. We don't realize how what's a problem for us isn't a problem for God at all. And he says, here's how you get out of your storm. Take hold of your brokenness. And you ride your brokenness to purpose. I realize I've been looking at this thing called life wrong all along. I've been spending my life trying to be whole, trying to be perfect, trying to be educated. You see how I'm doing there? And everything I need just, you know, put together and it looked like the part. God said, don't you know it's not what you are that I can use, but it's what you're not. Don't you know it's not my strength that's made perfect in your strength. It's my strength that's made perfect in your weakness. It's not our wholeness that reveals who God is. It's our brokenness that does. The only reason I can tell you that God is a healer is because my mom was sick and my sister was sick and my other sister was sick and I saw Jehovah Rapha, the healer, show up and supernaturally do what man said was impossible. The only reason I know that God opens doors that no man can shut is because I'm standing here and I stutter and I'm not the most extroverted person and I don't have it all together. But yet when God said, you're blessed, you're blessed, it's my brokenness that has taken me to purpose. So many of us were ashamed of our brokenness. I realize if we don't learn how to take hold Paul said of that which Christ took hold of me for. Here's what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6. It says Christ has redeemed us, has rescued us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us. Don't miss this. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a piece of wood that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let me say it one more time. Christ has rescued us from brokenness by becoming broken for us because it's written, broken is everyone who's hung on a tree. The blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What am I saying? The peace that we're taking hold of is not just a piece of wood, it's a piece of the cross. It's the piece of wood that bought us our freedom. It's not that when I say I'm perfect, I have it all together. It's that I admit, yeah, I was a liar, but I took hold of his forgiveness. Yeah, I was a cheat, but I took hold of his forgiveness. Yeah, I was insecure and rejected, but I took... He said, when we embrace what we're not, he can be all that he needs to be in our lives.
when we're broken that we walk in the fullness of who God is. I have a simple question for you today, Union Church. Where's your faith? Is it in how long you've been in church? Is it in the fact that you're educated or wealthy or well-connected? Is it in the fact that you own the business or you can't get fired or you don't really go to the hospital, you've been healthy your whole life? Or is your faith in the fact that I've taken hold of the cross of Jesus Christ? That he has broken off of me anything that can keep me from the purpose that he has for me. Because his hand is on my life, victory is guaranteed. Because it's from that place of brokenness that God says that breakthrough is now in your future. And we use you in ways that you never thought possible. Let's pray together. Father God, we are grateful. God, that everything in our life that we're maybe ashamed of or want to forget about, God, you're actually using that to prove to you how much you love us, how much you called us, care for us, have a purpose for us. Father God, I pray right now for every single person in the sound of my voice. God, those of us that are broken, God, that you make us whole. God, those of us that are self-reliant, God, that you break us in the best way possible so that we can be God-reliant just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. I want to speak particularly to those of you that say, Pastor, if I'd be honest with you, I, I haven't been 100% God-reliant. I've been self-reliant and self-sufficient. But I want to put all my hope, all my faith, all my trust in God in this moment. If that's you, you couldn't be making the better decision of your life ever. The Bible says that's actually the place where life begins. So what I'm getting ready to do is I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm asking that you would repeat after me. And it's not some ceremony where you say vows. It's literally make this prayer the cry of your heart. As you invite God to be the one that you put your weight, your hope, your trust, your reliance on. This moment the Bible says he steps into your life. Takes you to the purpose and the plan that he has for you. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for being broken that I can be whole. For dying so that I can live. Today, I surrender. I give you all of me. Today I repent. I turn from my sin and I receive your forgiveness. Use me for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on church, can you celebrate for every single person?